Yes, I know. Everybody's been asking me, where have you been? Where have you been? And I do apologize for that. It's always my intention to attempt to do a podcast every day, Monday through Friday, and occasionally on a Saturday. I did one this week only, and today is Friday, and everybody wants to know why. Well, sometimes life intrudes. Um, We got a brand new puppy for our son this week, and uh, there were a lot of last-minute things I had to do on Tuesday, which was the day before he arrived, which is why there was no podcast on Tuesday. And then Wednesday, there were a lot of last-minute things to do because the puppy uh, is from a European bloodline, uh, the Belgian Malinois. And although you can get Belgian Malinois and German Shepherds, which are you know famous for being police and military working dogs here in the U.S., most of the bloodlines, if not all, here in the U.S. are primarily show lines, meaning the dogs are bred to look like what they should look like, much like going to a showroom or a, a car show and seeing a car that's the epitome of what the car should look like on the floor. But yet you can open up the hood and there doesn't even need to be an engine inside because that car is not intended to drive anywhere. It's just for you to look at. Um The bloodlines you get from Europe, they can also be very, very good in terms of physical conformity, but primarily uh, it focuses on what's under the hood. They're working bloodlines. So we had to to make sure we got one of those, and we're very pleased. So we had to fly in from Europe, uh, and then we had to pick them up at, at the airport and get customs and all that sort of thing. So that kind of uh, tied us up. And then yesterday was our first full day with him, so that we had to get acclimated. So uh, today's Friday, and here we are. Hi, everyone. I'm Jamie Dury, and welcome to another National Preview Online podcast. If not already done so, please subscribe to the show, and you can do so one of three easy ways. Go to the native uh, app store on your device, the iTunes store if you're an iPhone user, the Google Play store if you're an Android user, and download the NPO podcast. Simply search for it in either of those two places. If you'd rather not, if you'd rather use uh, a third-party podcast service rather than your native podcast aggregator app, go to one of those two stores and download the free Podbean app, and you can subscribe to the NPO podcast that way. Either way, you'll be able to subscribe, which is the biggest benefit because you'll be notified automatically as soon as a new episode is uploaded, and all subscriptions are free. Additionally, you can leave comments and reviews. We'd really like you to subscribe by way of your native uh, podcast aggregator apps like the iTunes Store uh, or the uh, Google Play Store and leave reviews there. The more positive reviews we get, uh, the more quickly the show will be found when looking for conservative content. Today, I want to discuss a few things. Um, Before we get into that, uh, I want to just give a quick update on a few things. People have been asking me, what do I think uh, about Trump running in 2024? I've got a few emails on that. I don't know whether the president is going to uh, consider running in 2024. He'll be a little older, but he's incredibly youthful. He certainly has the energy, and I'm sure he will be on orders of magnitude more vigorous and uh, 
vital at 78 years of age than 95% of all 78-year-old Americans. No question about that. And he'll be sharp because the man constantly works. He's not sleepy Joe Biden, that's for sure. No way, shape, or form. But I think he's hedging his bet. He's going to see whether or not uh, they take back the House in 2022. He's also going to see whether or not uh, HR uh, HR 1, that uh, House congressional bill I first reported on last month, actually makes it through the House and through the Senate. That bill, among other things, is going to corrupt the electoral process in this country like nothing we've ever seen. It's basically going to take these very unconstitutional changes that were made in the six swing states, which which uh, determined the outcome of the election, and make them mandatory in all 50 states. Now, when you're talking about things that um, being made mandatory, such as automatic voter registration, online voter registration, same-day voter registration, no ID verification voter registration, no sane person, no intelligent person, no true American or patriot could ever, ever support such a thing. Such provisions make it virtually impossible to verify whether a person even has a right to vote. And in case those of you have forgotten, the only people who have a right to vote in this country are American citizens. Not illegal aliens, and that's what they are. Forget this undocumented nonsense. They're illegal. Is a law crossing this country border illegally? You do that, you're an illegal alien. You're not an undocumented alien. An undocumented alien is a euphemism used by the left to try and conjure up an image of someone who can be here, but they just haven't gotten around to informing us yet, so they're undocumented. No. These people have no right to be here. They're illegal aliens. And we don't want them voting. They also don't want people in prison voting. When you get out of prison, that's a different story. That's always been left up to the individual states. In certain states, once you're released from prison, even if you've been convicted of a felony, your voter rights restore to you. In other states, if you've been convicted of a felony, you have to apply for relief of civil disabilities from the governor, which used to be the case here in my home state of New York. And if that relief is granted, then you can vote again. In other states, there is no provision. Once you've been convicted of a felony, you can't vote. You don't like it, you either decide not to vote or you don't live in that state. I mean, that's about the way it goes. But this notion of taking away what is in the Constitution to allow people uh, to regulate how voting is conducted in their state is nonsense. And I think if the Supreme Court ever remembers that its function is to uphold the Constitution and not just bow to political pressure, I think that if this ill-fated legislation, and I've only touched the tip of the iceberg of what it covers, um, passes, I think a, a Supreme Court challenge, a legal challenge, will have this thing knocked down as unconstitutional because there is no question that in the United States Constitution it absolutely defers to the individual states to determine how voting is conducted in those states. Um, if you know anything about the history of the Constitution, the history of the country, you'll know that the Founding Fathers' original vision was to have the country governed primarily at the state level by state governments. It was not supposed to be governed um, from a large central government. The Founding Fathers were very much afraid of that. They didn't want that. 
And that's why they come up with this very unique system of government. It's not a parliamentary system of government. It's a, it's a democratic republic composed of two legislative bodies, the lower chamber being the House, the upper chamber being the Senate, and the executive branch and the judiciary. And it's a bit of marvel when it works right, when it's not corrupted, which it has been by professional politicians. So I think Trump wants to see if that bill passes. If that bill passes, it will make it virtually impossible for any Republican to win an election because the elections will be corrupted. And I don't think he wants to uh, have the moniker that he lost a second election that he really didn't lose but but for the corruption. So uh, that, that's a big one. But it's clear what Trump's mission is now. He's made a decision that He's not going to bother creating a third party. He thinks it takes too long to save the republic, and he thinks it will be too problematic. Instead, he has correctly, in my view, deduced that the Republican Party is his. The only reason why it had such strength is because of him. He pulled every single person across the finish line in this election, which is why it's ludicrous to assume that all the other matrix in an election point to a Trump victory. But Trump doesn't win. It's insane. So he's going to remake the party. Anyone who doesn't follow the platform that he envisions for the party is going to be primarily primarily challenged and expunged. And a number of these Democratic senators um, are not going to run for re-election. I think um, there's supposed to be 14 Democrats are defending their seats and 20 Republican seats are up for grabs. And a number of them aren't seeking re-election. That will be the opportunity for Trump to put his candidates in there. So if he can gain control of the House and he can retake control of the Senate, uh, Biden is going to be very, very limited in what he can do. He's going to be limited uh, much in the way that Obama was limited to executive orders. And those executive orders are not lasting. They will be countermanded as soon as the new president comes in. And I think it's still pretty interesting that Joe Biden, who says that governing by executive order was the wrong thing to do and it was dictatorial, is now doing just that. But let's cut him some slack. He doesn't really know what he's doing. He has dementia and he's a retard. And so he's just signing any piece of paper that's put in front of him. So we have to uh, factor that in, so to speak. But the thing I wanted to really talk about today, because I happened to be speaking to a friend of mine yesterday that I hadn't spoken to in some time. He's a good friend. We've known each other for over 35 years. Politically, though, we're very, very different. And he's unique among all my friends because he's probably the only person who is so politically different from me that I still manage to be friends with because we see eye to eye on a certain number of other things. And he's a a decent, good man. Um, He's a doctor. He's a doctor at a major metropolitan hospital here in New York. He's one of the brightest guys I know. And he and I spoke yesterday and he implored me to get the vaccine. Now, I have been inundated by people sending me all manner of emails discussing various myths or facts about these vaccines that are available from Pfizer, uh, 
and Moderna, and the, the other one, the Astra, AstraZeneca. There are people saying it's DNA altering. There are other people saying it doesn't technically meet the definition on the CDC's website uh, as a vaccine. Uh, and there are a lot of people say you don't need the vaccine. So I want to just weigh in and give my thoughts on this for most of you that are probably wrestling with this same provision. I don't like being told what to do. I don't like the government using its power to leverage me. And I would be very resentful if the federal government mandated that every American have to take one of these vaccines. And I don't think they're going to do that. I think they know the country is in a very, very bad place right now. There are 73 million Americans who are very pissed off and feel completely disenfranchised and feel as if the election was stolen from them. And they don't see any reason to fan the flames of discontent any further than they already have been by the recent actions of government. So what they're going to do instead, I believe, is to put in a number of restrictions whereby you're not mandated to have the vaccine, but if you don't get the vaccine, there's going to be a lot of things you're not going to be able to do. In that way, it's much like what New York City has done with smoking. They don't want to give up the revenue, the incredible revenue they get from the taxation of cigarettes and other tobacco products, but they do everything they can to make it impossible for you to use those tobacco products. They continue to sell cigarettes, cigars, and pipe tobacco in the city of New York, but you can't smoke in a building. You can't smoke within 50 feet of the entrance of a building, which is pretty tough to avoid here in Manhattan. You can't smoke in a public park, the city park. And now they're saying if you live in a multiple dwelling, you're responsible for the migration of your smoke. So if you're in a rental, uh, you're in much more peril of not being able to smoke. Even if you're in a co-op or a condo, you are running perilously close to being told you can't even smoke in your own home. So my question is, when you make the laws such that you insist that a product is legal, but then you make it impossible for people to use that legal product, that should be illegal <laughs> to do that. Uh, it really should. But it happens. And yet these same people who say you can't smoke a cigar in a park where you're not bothering anyone uh, say nothing when people are smoking joints. In fact, if you complain to the police officer that comes up to you and says, sorry, sir, you can't smoke that cigar, it's a fine. Yeah, but that guy's smoking a joint over there. Yeah, but he's not using tobacco. I mean, it's the most insane thing going. Using that same sort of intimidation on the part of government. I fully envision that government being able to regulate airline travel uh, are going to come up with rules that say if you don't have positive proof of a negative COVID test taken within 72 hours, you're not going to be able to get on a commercial flight, unless, of course, you can prove that you've taken the vaccine. Beyond that, there may be restrictions on Amtrak travel, and a host of other things. Here in the state of New York, Il Duce, Governor Benito Cuomo, has written a new executive order governing gatherings at weddings. Now weddings are allowed to take place again, up to 150 people. If the guest list is 100 or lower, all the catering halls are obligated to do is take your temperature. If the gatherings are in excess of 100, up to 150, every guest must have a negative COVID test no, no more than 72 hours old, or proof of the vaccine. 
Now, for somebody who has an entertainment business as well as this podcast, think of what that would mean if I decided not to get the vaccine. I would have to get tested every week if I was doing a wedding every week. Who's paying for this? It's a little bit unreasonable. So I don't know how that's all going to, to play out. But I can see these sorts of things extending. So now the question becomes, should you get the vaccine or shouldn't you? What is actually in that vaccine? Because that is a major factor in people determining or deciding whether or not they're going to get the vaccine. There's a lot of uh, misrepresentation about the vaccine. The vaccine has become incredibly politicized because the virus has become incredibly politicized. I still, despite what my friend tells me, do not believe it is as serious as people have made it out to be. There have been millions of people infected with this virus. I don't care what, I realize that death is what makes the news, but if you're telling me that this virus has a greater infectivity than any seasonal flu, and we know that every year the CDC says anywhere from 33 million to 54 million Americans get the seasonal flu, and you're saying this thing is incredibly more infectious than the seasonal flu, it would seem to me that the seasonal flu, their numbers should uh, pale in comparison to the numbers of COVID cases. So if on a big year we can get 50 or 60 million seasonal flu victims, why can't it be that there's 120 or 150 million or 200 million people in this country already have COVID? Now people say, well, it's because of the, the masks. Well, I don't think so. They also say it's because people are fudging the numbers. Anybody who has the flu, they're automatically counting them as COVID patients. So there's two schools of thought. The flu numbers are incredibly down this year. Incredibly down. Almost non-existent, according to my, my doctor friend. Now, one school of thought is that the only reason that is is because it's a falsehood and people are simply counting those flu cases as COVID cases. That's one school of thought. The other school of thought is that the practices that we've begun to engage in in order to mitigate the transmission of COVID-19 have also mitigated the transmission of the less, less infectious seasonal flu. Now, both have a certain degree of believability in them. Let's go to the latter first, because the first one I can't speak to unless we actually have proof that that's what they're doing. I believe there is some of that going on. Whether it can account for all of it, I do not know. But let's go to the latter part, that our practices uh, to, prevent, to prevent COVID are what has reduced the seasonal flu. Now, one of the things my doctor friend told me is that Fauci never said that masks um, were not necessary, that uh, the masks are very necessary. Well, I have video proof of him from an interview on 60 Minutes. And on this interview, or in this interview, he explains something that I knew all along. And so, oh, one second here. It looks like we're looking for our internet. I just lost internet uh, capacity for a second, so I have to get back on there. Let me see if I can find it for you in the meantime on my phone, but I'll explain. Dr. Fauci explains that the masks 
do nothing to prevent you from getting the virus. And that's true. That's absolutely true. If you understand how a mask works, the simple um, logic of it, uh, physics of it, a mask is supposed to be semi-permeable. It's supposed to prevent particulate matter, droplets, from getting through. Um, So if you have the virus, the masks are very good. If you have the virus, the masks are very good because it prevents you from passing the virus on to somebody else. Now, just bear with me for a second because I'm, I'm trying to type and talk at the same time. Let me just put this in real quick. And I'll get this for you. Okay, I've got it. He says that the masks are not necessary because they'll prevent someone who has it from passing it on. But if you don't have it, Wearing the mask is not going to prevent you from getting it. Now, think about this. If you think I'm lying, when you go into a hospital and the doctors are all gathered around you and they're opening your body up and they're doing surgery on you, what are they all wearing? They're all wearing masks. Do you think they're wearing masks because they're worried about you infecting them? No. They're wearing masks because no one can know what they possibly may have at any one time, a flu or an infection, something. And they're now opening up your body, removing your body's epidermis, the skin layer, which seals you like a capsule and protects you against many things. So they're trying to prevent anything from leaving their mouths and getting into your open wounds as they operate on you. That's the way a mask works. They're not wearing it to protect themselves from you. They're wearing it to protect you from them. So if you're a person who doesn't have the virus and you're wearing a mask and someone who has the virus coughs on you, that mask doesn't protect you. It may protect the droplet from getting into your mouth or your nose, but the minute you touch that mask with your hand, the virus is on your hand. If you then put your finger in your mouth or pick your nose or put it, scratch something in your eye, it's now touched a mucous membrane and you now have the virus. So the masks aren't that great. Fauci verifies everything I've just said in this short clip, which I will let you hear. This was taken from an interview on 60 Minutes. If it's the one I'm thinking of, let me just... No, this is Face the Nation. I got to find the 60 Minutes one. This may be it. Let's see. You'll save 10 or 15% on everything at Raymore and Flanagan's... If we find this one, this should be excellent. Here it is. ...among people and misinformation surrounding this face This is the doctor. Masks. Listen. Can you discuss that? The masks are important for someone who's infected to prevent them from infecting someone else. Now, when you see people and look at the films in China and South Korea, whatever, everybody's wearing a mask. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You're sure of it? Because people are listening really closely to this. Right now, people should not be walking. There's no reason to be walking around with a mask. When you're in the middle of an outbreak, Wearing a mask might make people feel a little bit better, and it might even block a a droplet, but it's not providing the perfect protection that people think that it is. And often, there are unintended consequences. People keep fiddling with the mask, and they keep touching their face. 
And can you get some schmutz sort of staying inside there? Of course, of course. But when you think masks, you should think of healthcare providers needing them and people who are ill. The people who, when you look at the films of foreign countries and you see 85% of the people wearing masks, that's fine. That's fine. I'm not against it. If you want to do it, that's fine. But it can lead to a shortage of masks. Exactly. That's the point. It could lead to a shortage of masks for the people who really need it. Now, you heard it from Dr. Fauci's own mouth, unless you want to say there was a ventriloquist who had his hand up his back and were forcing him to say those things. But everything he said, not only did I just say it here, I've been saying this for months on this show. Masks only help to prevent the transmission from someone who has it, if they're wearing it, to someone who doesn't have it. Someone who doesn't have it, who's wearing a mask, and is exposed to someone who has it, who's not wearing a mask and coughs on them, that mask is going to do virtually nothing from you. Because as he said, people are constantly fiddling with it and you're going to get it. That's from his own mouth. And that was one point I disagreed with my doctor friend yesterday. He said that Fauci never said that masks were no good. He did say exactly that. And I've sent it on uh, to him so that he can see that video clip for himself. Okay? So that's the story with the mask. So now let's get on to the next business. Oh, this whole business, the vaccine. I still believe that this virus was created in a lab. I do not think it's naturally occurring. And I'm really more leaning to the fact that it was deliberately released, not accidentally released, so that it could be used as an excuse to do much of what was done to alter the course of the electoral process here in the United States. The Chinese got taken to the cleaners by Trump in trade deals. They clearly did not want him reelected. Anybody who doesn't see that, doesn't believe that, is living in a fantasy land. We've been taken to the cleaners by the Chinese during the Clinton administration, the Obama administration, uh, and um, to a lesser extent, the Bush administration. Finally, we had someone who stood up to those Chinese communist sons of bitches and put them in their place because they're exerting great influence in the Pacific. And that's why the people in Australia, of all places, were big pro-Trump people, because they're going to come under the thumb of the Chinese when they expand their influence in the Pacific Rim. So I, I do believe this was an engineered virus. And so now we need a vaccine to cure it. Now, many of the people out there who are talking about this as not being a vaccine are saying this because they're relying on definitions of what a vaccine is listed on the CDC's website. Now, there apparently are multiple definitions of what a vaccine is. There are some people out there saying this is not a vaccine because a true vaccine contains either a weakened form of a virus or dead virus cells injected into a person's body so that the person's immune system will now develop antibodies to this virus so that if the real infection tries to in, in, uh, infect the person and get a, get a foothold in a person's body, they won't be able to because the body will reject it and the body will have antibodies to defeat it and so forth. And that is the classic vaccine. You get a measles vaccine, you're getting a dead measles virus. You're getting um, the... Uh, The shingle shot, you're getting a dead herpes virus. That's always the way vaccines were understood. Well, apparently, there is another working definition of a vaccine. 
So apparently, another working definition that the CDC relies on is any substance, a vaccine for lack of a better term, which is administered to someone and has, as a consequence of its administration, a preventative effect, it qualifies as a vaccine, even if it doesn't contain dead viruses, as has been the case routinely with so many other vaccines, okay? Uh, Which is why they tell people that there is no way you can actually get the COVID-19 virus from the vaccine because there's no COVID-19 virus in it. Instead, let me explain how this works. The Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines use what they call mRNA, which stands for messenger ribonucleic acid. Now, ribonucleic acid is in your cells. Every cell in the body has it. In simple terms, I'm reading from an uh, article here, mRNA carries instructions to your body about how to build a protein. In this case, it's telling your body to make the spike protein that's on the coronavirus. The proteins on your body uh, that they make are solitary and they do not connect or reproduce. Then your immune system recognizes the protein as foreign and develops antibodies to destroy it. Your immune system remembers the protein and is ready to attack and eliminate the real SARS or COVID-2, COVID-19 virus if it should come into your system. Quote, our own cells make the protein and it can't replicate. The mRNA doesn't stay around too long. Your body breaks it down and gets rid of it. The vaccines teach your body to fight the virus so your immune response will protect you. You cannot test positive as a consequence of getting the vaccine for that very reason, because there is no dead virus in it. The vaccines are safe and have gone through full reviews by experts. And they were developed quickly. People are asking, how has that happened? Well, the vaccines were made at record speed, this man says. Vaccines often take seven to ten years. Along with the constant review by regulatory experts that sped up the process, there were two reasons for the speed. The first was our urgency. Vaccine manufacturers and scientific community dropped everything to develop a vaccine. We've never seen anything like this before. The second was the innovative uh, mRNA approach, which had already been in development. Researchers had already created the way of getting the mRNA into the body, what's called an mRNA platform for trials on cancer efforts and other vaccines. See, it could be that this approach, the mRNA approach, could be a way to attack cancer. Now, if you recall, uh, there was a mention by the late Rush Limbaugh on a show before COVID, before COVID ever hit, that the Israelis had come up with a new and innovative way of curing cancer. And they were going to come out with an absolute cure for any type of cancer. And it wasn't a, a treatment that killed the cancer. It was a way of getting your body to, defi- to, to fight and defeat the cancer. And I suspect that this mRNA technology may very well be uh, a big factor in how this proposed Israeli cure to cancer is supposed to work. Whether it comes to pass or not is another story, but it certainly seems promising. I guess at this point, if you really look at it, you'd have to conclude the vaccines are safe. My own thing is, I believe we're vaccinating ourselves. We're going crazy vaccinating ourselves against something which really isn't as serious as people are making it out to be, despite what my very learned friend has told me. Um, 
Of course, I have to concede that I'm not there on the front line seeing what he's seeing every day, but I can, I can see what I have seen with my own eyes. I do know people who've had COVID, two people that work out with me regularly, and they both bounce back just fine. I know people have died, but according to the CDC, uh, only 6% of all the people who have died from COVID in this country have been in otherwise perfect health. If you're older and you have other conditions, by all means, you should get the vaccine because the risk to you is greater not getting the vaccine than it is getting the vaccine. Um, But my friend is imploring me to get the vaccine. So I'm deciding whether I'm going to do it for myself. But I wanted to mention these things about the vaccine because I think many of these, it's become so politicized that I think a lot of people are poo-pooing it. Now, my friend also gives no credit to President Trump for the vaccine. Me, I'd walk through fire for President Trump because he's the only one that has ever spoken, uh, as a true American should, uh, since Ronald Reagan was president. America first and screw everybody else. That was Douglas MacArthur's philosophy, and that's certainly mine. We are the ATM to the world. We step up and help the entire world. I don't see anybody in foreign countries coming up with donations. Uh, oh, send relief to uh, North Carolina or Cape Girardeau, Missouri. They were devastated by that hurricane. Uh, you know, let's get every time some third world dump, uh, which can't take care of itself, becomes victimized by a natural disaster. Every American's got to reach into his pocket to save them. There's nobody here to save us. Start remembering that. Everybody looks to us for help. If we ever needed help, they'd all be turning their noses up at us and telling us to go screw ourselves. So, there's a lot of politicization about this vaccine. And I don't like the idea, as a general cast, that the government can use fear so readily to be able to get people to agree to take something. Because even if this vaccine is 100% on the up and up and 100% on the level, the day is going to come when something can alter your DNA and can make lasting changes to your body. Science is working at a geometric rate. When I was a child, back in the 60s, they said that the level of uh, learning that occurred from 1900 to 1969, when I was in the fifth grade, surpassed all the learning that had happened from the beginning of written history up until 1900, you know, 5,000 years. And yet we did more in those 69 years than had been done in the previous 5,000. Since that time, knowledge has geometrically exploded and it continues to accelerate. There's going to come a day when they're actually going to be able to reprogram people. And we don't want to become in the habit of so quickly granting deference to the government and their all-knowing natures giving us this stuff. So there has to be a certain degree of skepticism. But if I had to be a betting man and come down on one side of the equation or the other right now, I would say all of the political issues that we've discussed on this show aside and all of the other factors that we could name, there's probably less reason to fear the vaccine vaccine than there is um, to not fear it. In other words, there's a more of an argument to take it than there is not to take it. But I don't criticize anyone who chooses not to take it. 
So I leave it to you. And that is one I wanted to get across in today's show. So I apologize again uh, for this week not doing many shows. We hope to correct that going forward now that we're getting the puppy situation under control. Uh, You all have a nice weekend, and I'll see you on Monday. For National Preview Online, I'm Jamie Dury. 